You're about to listen to another inspiring word from House on the Rock Church, the London Lighthouse. For more information and interaction with House on the Rock, please visit our website on hotr.org.uk. Open your Bibles quickly to the book of Jeremiah and chapter 1. Jeremiah chapter 1. Jeremiah chapter 1. We're going to read from verse 4 to verse 8 of Jeremiah chapter 1. Can I quickly throw out a disclaimer or let you know ahead of time that this is one message that you are going to have to hear again and again and again. This message is going to be pivotal. It's going to renew your mind. It's going to set you on a trajectory for forward movement like never before. Let's rise up for the reading of God's word as is our good custom in this great house. Jeremiah chapter 1 verse 4 to verse 8. I'm reading in the King James translation The projection might be in the New King James, but I'm reading in the King James translation. Please listen to God's word right now. Jeremiah 1, verse 4 to verse 8. Then the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. And before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee, and I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. Then said I, Ah, Lord God, behold, I cannot speak, for I am a child. But the Lord said unto me, Say not, I am a child, for thou shalt go to all that I shall send thee, and whatsoever I command thee, thou shalt speak. Be not afraid of their faces, for I am with thee to deliver thee, saith the Lord. This portion of scripture is is probably not alien to so many of us. Jeremiah was called of God while he was a youth. Some theologians believe that he was around 20 years of age when God called him. He was young. He was inexperienced. He was probably the runt of the family. He was insignificant. He did not consider himself to be of any major relevance. He felt that he was unqualified. What he did not understand is that God does not call the qualified. He qualifies the called. Jeremiah was talking about his childishness, his youthfulness, and God was saying, listen to what God was saying, God was saying, even before you became a child, even before you became a youth, I had already preordained you, sanctified you to be a prophet. Oh, wow. So so it's not about your qualifications. Then Jeremiah said, I cannot speak. I am but a youth. I am but a child. God answered and said to him, say not. Somebody say, say not. Say not, I am a child. Because it is not not who you are that matters, but who sent you. It's not your personal fortification that matters, but, uh, but who has got your back. It's not your know-how that matters, but who is giving the instructions. It's not your eloquence that makes the difference. It is who is speaking through you. God's response to Jeremiah's complaint that he was just a child was, Say not. Why? Because what you say matters. Life and death are in the power of the tongue. God said, say not. And the subject of my meditation this Sunday morning is say not. Can you deputize for me this Sunday morning? Preach to your neighbor on your right and your left and tell them, say not, say not. I don't know what you've been saying, but say not. Mighty Father, send the anointing that makes preaching, teaching, sharing your truth easy. Cause my tongue to be as the pen of the ready writer, that I might inscribe upon the hearts of the men and women here your living truth. And that by reason of that truth, we'll be elevated to a new level of experience with you. Let your will be done. Let your kingdom come. Let your counsel stand. Oh God, 
illumination, 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 liberation, 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 consolation and strength even today in Jesus' mighty name. And the people said aloud, amen. amen. As you take your seats, once again, whisper under your breath, say not, say not, say not. Well, from our text, it lets us know that God said he had foreknown Jeremiah and had already ordained Jeremiah to be a prophet even before Jeremiah was born. So, did Jeremiah really have a say in the matter if God had already foreknown him and ordained him to be a prophet before he was born? Did he have a choice? And if Jeremiah did not have a choice, then do you have a choice? Do I have a choice? Are there some people, even if it's not everybody, uh, uh, is it possible that there are some people that the call on their lives is so consequential that they really do not have a choice but to be it and to do it. I would argue subjectively, and hopefully we will move from the subjective to the objective, that Jeremiah still had a choice. And part of the, what convinces me that he still had a choice is because if he did not have a choice, God would not have had to say to him, uh, say not. Because the instruction to not say something immediately introduces the possibility that the person could say something. So for him to say, say not, it means that he could decide to say something that he's not supposed to say. And if he can say something, even though God says don't say something, it means that Jeremiah had the agency of choice. Jeremiah very well could have chosen to not heed the call of God. So if Jeremiah had a choice, then I have a choice then you have a choice. <laughs> choice is what makes us human. Choice is key to self-actualization. Choice is what sets us apart from every other living being, our ability to choose. And as we grow up, we become more and more conscious of our ability to choose. And this is why often there is a clash between parents and teenagers because teenagers are coming, becoming more aware that they can make choices and they feel like their parents are cramping their style. So they start to rebel against the parents' instructions. I have a right. That's not fair. I want to do this. Why are you telling me to do that? Because they're starting to exercise their power to choose, failing to understand that their parents have lived many more years before them. And whatever the parents is saying is for their good and not to limit them. But it's all part of the process of learning about your power to choose. Now in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 30 and verse 19, he says, I call heaven and earth to record this day against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that both you and your descendants may live. God is saying, I have placed before you options life and death, blessing and cursing, therefore choose. And in case you don't know what to choose, let me tell you what to choose. Choose life. Ah, the choice is still yours. But with choice also comes consequence. If he said that, he said that if you choose life, both you and your descendants shall live. So that starts to let me know that my choice doesn't always only 
affect me, my choice can affect everybody in my sphere of influence. As the head of a home, my choice can affect my entire family and even their lineage. In fact, the suggestion here is that if I choose death, that option of death becomes something not just for me, but also for my descendants to grapple with. And so my choices potentially can affect my generations, all within, all those within my sphere of influence. But even though my choice might affect them, listen to this closely, it still does not rob them of their personal agency of choice. My choices as the head of a home, as a patriarch, might create an environment that puts before my descendants and everybody in the sphere of my influence certain limited options, but it still does not rob them of their own ability to make a choice. That means even if my forefather was an idol worshiper, even if my forefather made a covenant to some demigod somewhere and he set my family on a particular trajectory because I still have a, a, the agency of choice, I can decide to go in a different direction. Oh, you don't hear me what I'm saying. You still have a choice. I choose to go in a different direction. Oh, you don't hear me here. I choose not to participate in your foolishness. I choose not to take part in your drama. I choose not to engage in your recession. Ooh. Oh, Lord Jesus. I have a choice. So one man's choice, Adam, to disobey, led, led the whole of humankind into sin and death. But thank God, another man's choice, Jesus, who was obedient unto death, set up the opportunity for life and peace for all of mankind. But each man still has to choose. The choice is yours. But we still grapple with the fact that God foreknew Jeremiah and ordained Jeremiah to be a prophet before he was born and therefore before he had a choice. So how is that not a violation of choice? The questions of foreknowledge and predestination loom large in our sight. Do I really have a choice? To start to unravel the mystery of predestination, we have, must first try and grasp, oh, God help me this morning, uh, the infinite God with our finite minds. Listen to what David writes in the book of Psalms 139, verse 1 to 6. Listen closely. David says, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thoughts afar off. You comprehend my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways, for there is not a word on my tongue, but behold, O oh Lord, you knew it all together before I spoke it. That's what it means. Uh, you have hedged me behind and before and laid your hand upon me. Now listen to verse 6. This is how I feel. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. The grasp of the infinite God, his knowledge, the fact that he's God means he knows all things, meaning that he already knows what I'm going to do before I do it. He already knows my choices before I make them. This is a knowledge that is beyond my comprehension. I cannot comprehend it. I cannot attain to it. He's bigger than our comprehension could ever hold. So what he does is that he reveals as much of himself as we can handle per time. There are 
parts of him that we can only experience. We cannot cognitively compute. Oh, I don't know whether you hear me what I'm saying. Uh, he is a God that is love and he wants you to know a love that passes all knowledge because he knows that there are some things that you can't quite articulate in comprehensible language. You can only talk about how it felt, how the experience you had. You must understand that God does not experience time the way that we experience time. Oh Lord, God does not exist in time. Time does not contain God. God is the container of time. So time is found inside of God, not God found inside of time. Oh God, help me. In him we live and we move and we have our being, the poet said. God exi exists outside of time. Time exists in God. We know of our God that he's omnipotent, which means all-powerful, uh, that he's omniscient, which means all-knowing and all-wise, uh, but we also know uh, that he's omnipresent, uh, which means that he's present in all places uh, at the same time. Uh, as he's with us right here in the Rock Tower, he's with House on the Rock uh, in the Rock Cathedral in Lagos, he's with uh, um, somebody walking down the street, he's everywhere at the same time, but he's also in all times uh, at all times. Uh, meaning, therefore, as He's with us in 2022. He's also with them in 1922 and already ahead in 2045. This our God is beyond comprehension. So big is he. And because he's already ahead of time, oh Lord, help us to grasp it. It means that when God makes you a promise, he's not telling you something that he intends to do, something that he will do. He's telling you something that he has already done that you simply have not What lived long enough to walk into it. Are you with me this Sunday morning? Whoo! So when he tells Jeremiah that he foreknew him and ordained him, God was telling Jeremiah about a future that Jeremiah had not yet experienced. But God had experienced it. Because Jeremiah was limited by the linear passage of time, while God is not. This is why God can talk in Revelations about the Lamb of God slain from the foundations of the earth. Well, while in our own experience, that Lamb of God, who is Jesus Christ, was slain maybe 2,000 years ago upon the cross of Calvary. Meanwhile, God says from the foundation of the earth, because from God's perspective, that lamb was slain right from the beginning and slain 2,000 years ago, and is still slain at the end because he's outside of time. These thoughts are beyond us because we are not God. So therefore, with this understanding, we must now read the scripture differently. Every time I read the scripture now, I'm asking myself the question, is this being written from a God perspective who is outside of time, or is it being written from a man perspective who is trapped in linear passage of time? Whoo! Hallelujah. The challenge we experience with the free expression of choice and God creating a world where men and women can exercise their will and their choice is that that seems to lead to chaos. Because my choices, your choices, like we've already talked about earlier, does not necessarily only impact me. The choices of the erstwhile chancellor is affecting all of us. Were you party to the choice? Were you in the room to discuss and decide what was decided? But his choice is affecting us. Oh, they say we exercised our choice when we voted. Did we vote him in? I don't know. Well, we voted the conservatives in, so they, they, they had got the right to choose whoever they wanted to choose. 
We don't know whether we're going to vote them back in in another two years. I don't think so. Well, let's leave that alone. Hallelujah. Amen. So, my, my, my choice, the, the fact that we all get to exercise choice seems to potentially create a scenario of chaos because our choices can be as different as our faces. And then, of course, you have the bullies who want to force their choice, Russia, upon everybody else's choice. So, the problem with this also is that if God wants to protect your right to choose, and that right to choose leads to chaos, it seems as if even the world would be outside of God's control. Because in our natural understanding, for the world to remain in God's control, he is going to have to violate our right to choose. We all love the, uh, the, the child song, he's got the whole world in his hands, he's got the whole world in his hands, he's got the whole world. It is as he's got the whole world in his hands. Doesn't look like it. With all the craziness in this world, with all the sickness, disease, and death, and pain, it doesn't look like it. And the reason he allows all the disease, sickness, and pain, and whatever negatives we think is because he has to allow choice. But the problem is that does then the world spin out of his own control because he's allowing men to make their choices? No. He's still in control. I don't know whether anybody's hearing me this Sunday morning. I came to tell somebody he's still in control. Somebody's wondering how can he remain in control and not violate our right to choose? I'll explain to you in a moment. There are at least two reasons why I'm sure that he's still in control. Number one reason is that this world is on a lease and there is an end date which is called the judgment day. So no matter what you do, ultimately we are going to come to the day where the records will be set straight and God will judge the living and the dead and he will set things in their right order and at that point in time he's going to fully exercise his control over the earth and deal out to us the consequences of the choices we made while we had the least of time. That's number one reason. But number two reason that is so sweet to my soul is that my God is still God enough to work behind the scenes. He is the divine orchestrator without violating your choice, without violating my choice to still cause all things to work together for my good. Oh God, you don't hear me what I'm saying. My God is the perfect orchestrator, the God that set the stars into the sky, spun the, 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 the earth on its axis, causes the moon to go round, around us, and scientists will tell you that everything has to be at a particular perfect setting for life to exist. My God is working behind the scenes to make sure that his will for your life, his will for my life, will still come to pass, and he will do it without violating your right to choose. If anybody believes what I'm saying, come and shout yes. He's the God of a million little miracles. I don't know whether anybody can identify with me today that they realize that where they are standing today, the position they are standing in today, the blessings they are enjoying today is not their know-how, is not their background, is not their connection. There was a divine hand behind the scenes that caused you to go for that interview. Woo! That caused you to go there right on time that caused you to meet that person, that caused you to make that decision. This my God is divine orchestrator. That therefore means even when we think that it's out of control, it's still in control. If you believe me, come and shout yet. Now, 
if you are grateful that your God is the one that has been keeping you, that has been guiding you, that has been causing a million little miracles to keep you on track, can you go ahead, forget about who's on your right and who's on your left and give God the praise this Sunday morning. Divine orchestrator he is. Hallelujah. Listen to what he says in Proverbs chapter 19 and verse 21. He says, there are many plans in a man's heart. Nevertheless, the Lord's counsel, that will stand. What is he saying? He says, you have many choices. You have many plans. You are making this choice and that choice and this decision and that decision. But my God's counsel, that is what will still stand at the end of the day. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 11. He says, in him we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him. Listen to what he does. He works all things according to the counsel of his will. What does this mean? That means he allows you to exercise your right to choose your will, and yet he will work it all together to still align with the counsel of his will. Somebody give God the praise this Sunday morning. And this is why Paul can write with such audacity in Romans chapter 8 and verse 28. And I know, not that I think, and we know, not that we think, not that we desire, not that we hope, not that we wish. We know that all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Listen to what he said. He said all things. Do you know what that means? All means all. That means the good, the bad, and the ugly. It's all working together for your good. Hey, Jesus. Even your craziness, even your mistakes, even when you backslid and went to do all sorts of crazy things that you weren't supposed to be doing, even that, even though he didn't plan it, he didn't intend for you to go that way, he's still able to use it and cause it to work together for your good. Is there anybody grateful under the sound of my voice give him the praise however understand that that promise is not just for anybody and everybody because he tells us the criteria when he says for those who love God and are called according to his purpose ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. now I don't like using the word criteria because criteria seems to suggest that you qualify for this but when I look a little bit deep, deeply I realize that the two criteria those that love God and accord according to his purpose are actually not criteria the way you think about criteria. But you, because you cannot love God if you don't first of all embrace his love for you. We don't love him first. He loved us first. So those that love God are not actually, is not actually talking about your good efforts to impress God. It's actually first and foremost talking about your receiving and accepting that his love towards you was total and complete enough to save you. So any expression of love towards him is not causative, it is actually responsive. You are responding to what God has already done. You know, we read that verse and we start to make people feel like, oh, I've got to love God with my muscle for everything to work together for my good. No! It starts with you accepting that he has loved you, no matter how bad you were, no matter how deep you fell. He still loves you. He loves you with an unconditional love. And the day you embrace that is the day you start to receive his power and he's, uh, uh, he's energizing to be able to do his will. Then when he talks about those that are called according to the purpose, according to his purpose, again we think that, oh, it's because I have to work hard to be looking for his purpose. Not necessarily so. When he talks about being called according to his purpose, this is what he's talking about. He's talking about those who respond in the affirmative to his call who say yes uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. when you say yes to his call then you are one of those that are called according to his purpose oh you don't hear me what I'm saying many are called but few are chosen 
When you hear that statement, you immediately think that the onus of being chosen is the prerogative of the chooser. But your affirmative response to the call is actually what makes you chosen. So the chosen are those who say yes to the call. Is there anybody ready to say yes under the sound of my voice? Now, it might sound subjective now, but if you stay with me, it's going to become objective. The proof of your being called according to his purpose is your yes answer to the call. And if you fulfill, quote unquote, these two criteria, then you can be confident that all things are working together for your good. <laughs> In fact, my God is so good. And I know I have a few testifiers under the sound of my voice that you backslid, you went crazy, you did something you weren't supposed to do uh, back in the day. Uh, and you felt so bad about it. Uh, and you repented of it. Uh, and then you started to walk your life uh, pursuing God once again. Uh, and then you ran into somebody uh, who fell into the same pit uh, that you fell into uh, back, back way then. Uh, and then you found out uh, that you were in a unique position uh, to be able to help that person uh, that fell into the pit uh, only because... You had fallen before, for we comfort others with the comfort that we ourselves have received. For us to have received comfort, it meant that we went through something. Therefore, you who are spiritual, when you find one that is overtaken in iniquity, restore such a one with a spirit of meekness, realizing that the same grace and mercy that you are extending was first of all extended to you by God. Is there anybody great? under the sound of my voice give God the praise Paul breaks it down further what he's talking about in the next few verses that follow in Romans in chapter 8 now we read from verse 26 and 29 listen to what he says he says for whom immediately he starts with four it lets you know that he's expounding on what he has just said that all things work together for the good of those that love God and accord according to his purpose then he goes on to explain it further when he says for whom he foreknew he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son that he might be firstborn amongst many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, he called. And whom he called, he justified. And whom he justified, he glorified. God, help me this morning. Here we see the process and the checkpoints on the pathway to glory. From foreknowledge to predestination. From predestination to calling. From calling to justification. From justification to glorification. Ah, yes. This text throws up the subject of predestination and it often confuses many of us because we think that predestination robs you and me of our right to choose because the end has already been chosen for us. Uh, so we think that there are some people predestinated to heaven and there are some people predestinated to hell. Uh, yes. Uh, we think that if he has predestined me to go to heaven, there is nothing I can do in my life that will cause me to miss out on heaven. And if he has predestinated me to go to hell, then there is nothing I, I can do to get out of hell. Well, I came to tell you this Sunday morning morning, that devil is a liar. Oh, Jesus, help me. Uh, predestination has less to do with the person and much more to do with the destination. Predestination is a combination of two words, pre and destination, where pre is some, simply before, prepare, before, while destination is a place that you are going to. So, predestination is the place you are going to being set before you, before you, before you even start the journey. It's more about the destination than it is about the person. Uh, 
Oh, God, help me, Jesus. Many of us engage predestination daily, and we're not aware of it. Some of you this morning, when you got into your car, you engaged predestination. How did you engage predestination? You brought out your satin nav, and what did you do? You typed in a postcode. You typed in address, an address. Ah, that was predestination. You were setting the destination before you even started the journey. So you had predestined where you wanted to go, and you trusted the sat-nav to direct you to the destination that you predetermined. In fact, some of us have gotten so bad with it that we don't know anywhere anymore. You don't know the route to this or the route to that. All you know is your destination, and you type it in, and you're follow. Uh, and then sometimes maybe you are talking to somebody on Bluetooth uh, in your car, and the person says, where are you now? I say, I don't know. <laughs> are you here? I don't know. It's only some of us, the older ones, who still remember the maps that you used to use to get everywhere that might have a clearer understanding of where they are per time. But most people today with navigation, with Google Maps, with Waze, they don't know where anywhere anymore. They only know their destination. You are daily engaging in predestination, and you do not feel like your will is being abused. Oh, Lord Jesus. I don't, I don't, I don't know why anybody's hearing this. Is anybody getting what I'm talking about? Uh, we, so we take predestination for granted. We mystify it when it's actually something we're experiencing all the time. Can I tell you something? Predestination is the show of responsibility and a sense of purpose. You are not, I just follow any direction that my, my, my belly is facing. In Nigerian, Kolokwan, we will say, anywhere belly face. We just, no, 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 no. If you are a responsible person who's living on purpose, what do you do? You chart your course, you set where you want to go. And then you start to put things in place to get you to where you want to go. And so since our God is the ultimate God of purpose and responsibility, he cannot be but be a God of predestination. He always prepares before. Listen to what Jesus said to his disciples. He said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. This is John chapter 14, verse 1 to 3. In my father's house, there are many mansions. If it were not so, I would not tell you, I would not have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. Ah, Yakadav, that's predestination. Listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 9. He says, For it is written, I has not seen, air has not heard, neither has it entered into the heart of man. The things that God has prepared for those that love him. That's predestination. To prepare is to set a place before. It is predestination. Predestination is more about preparing the place than it is about preparing the person because the person has a choice. Can I make an emphatic statement? God cannot predestine anyone to hell. Now, you, you, you know that we need to be very, very careful whenever we use the word cannot with God. It is not something to be engaged in lightly. Why? Because it's omnipotent, meaning that he's all-powerful. So by that premise, that means there is nothing he cannot do. So whenever we say God cannot, we have to be careful. It is not a lack of ability. It's a chosen, I will not. There are certain things God, in an inverted comma, cannot do. Because for him to do it would be to abjugate the throne and cease to be God. So God cannot lie. In fact, God so much cannot lie 
that if he were to lie, the lie would become the truth. Because for him to lie would mean for him to cease to be God. So, I do not lightly say that God cannot predestine anybody to hell. And I'll tell you why. Because Jeremiah chapter 29 and verse 11 says, I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. This is describing my God. James chapter 1 and verse 17. Every good and perfect gift comes from above, comes down from the Father of lights, in whom there is no variableness, nor the shadow of turning. Do you understand what that means? He's not up today, down tomorrow. He's not blessing today and cursing tomorrow. He is consistently good. So you start to understand why I say God cannot predestine anyone to hell. Listen to what he says. First Timothy chapter 2 and verse 4. He says, God desires that all men, not some men, he desires that all men be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. How can he desire all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth and at the same time be predestining some people that you must go to hell? I don't like your face. Go to hell. It doesn't add up. In fact, let me tell you, a lot of people that like to talk about, oh, I, I'm, I behave the way I behave because this is how I was predestined to, to, to behave. It's simply them trying to avoid taking responsibility. Whoo! Hallelujah. So even though God desires all men to be saved, are all men saved? No. Why? Because you have a choice. <laughs> you have a choice. Can you give me five minutes? I have three, but if you can give me five, that would be great. Let me illustrate. My pastors, my male pastors, please, can you come up on stage? Thank you so much. Um, Pastor Zubi, Pastor Godswill, Pastor Femi, Pastor Chris, please. I need four, four persons on stage. Hallelujah. Two on e either side of me. Face the audience. Two on either side of me. Brilliant. Thank you so much. These are, these are mighty men. These are, these are great men. These are strong men. Hallelujah. Now, the process that we see in Romans chapter 8 verse 29 and 30 says that whom he foreknew, he predestined to be called and whom he called, he justifies, and whom he justifies, he glorifies. Yeah? So, Pastor Chris is foreknowledge. Pastor God's will is predestination. I am calling. Pastor Zubi is justification. Pastor Femi is glorification. This is the process. Now, the first thing that God does, it's, there's a reason why he put it this way. The first thing that God does is that he foreknows you. Jeremiah, before I formed you in the belly, I what? Knew you. I foreknew you. So God, because he's God, foreknows you. Ooh. He, he, he knows you in and out, through and through. Remember what David said? Before I thought it, you already knew it. Before I said it, you knew it. He knows you through and through. He knows your proclivities. He knows your choices. He knows everything about you. That doesn't take the choice away from you. He just knew what you would choose. Hello? For him not to know is for him not to be God. So he knows it. But he's not violating your choice. It's very important to understand that it starts with foreknowledge because... Every predestination of God is premised upon his foreknowledge. It is the reason that in Jeremiah said, the first thing he said is that, I first of all knew you before I did what? Ordain you. I first of all knew you before I predestined you. There's also, whew, stay with me, there is consolation 
in the foreknowledge of God. The consolation in the foreknowledge of God is that nothing takes him by surprise. That means that thing that is shocking you right now, that thing that is a surprise to you right now, that thing that is disturbing you right now, the change in economy, all of the craziness that's happening around you, that's a surprise and a shock to you, it's not a surprise or a shock to my God. He knew he was coming before he came. And guess what about my God? He is the good, good father. And a good, good father makes provision for his children. That means that that thing that is shocking and surprising you right Right now, God has already made provision for how you are going to be able to handle it. If there's anybody that believes me, come and shout, yeah! So, his foreknowledge doesn't threaten me. His foreknowledge consoles me. And then it is on the premise of his foreknowledge that he predestines me. We've already said a lot about predestination. There's not much more to be said about predestination. Save, let me let you know that the destiny that God has for you is a glorious destiny. That the destiny that God has for you is a beautiful destiny. That my God is altogether good and he cannot predestine anybody to evil. He only predestines us to greatness, to goodness, to prosperity, to lifting. If you believe me what I'm saying, come and shout, yeah! Then we come to the middle step, and this is the critical step. This is the calling step. This is the deciding step, because you really don't have much of a say, if any at all, in the foreknowledge, in the predestination, not even in the justification and the glorification. The only place where you have 100% a say is in the calling, because he will call you, but then you have the right to choose to either say yes or no no to his call. Ah, oh, yes. You determine, therefore, if you say yes to his call, you continue on his journey towards glory. But if you say no to his call, you take a detour and start going in a direction that is not his predestination. This is now your own destination, not his destination. His destination for you was glory. Oh, you don't hear me what I'm saying. Uh, but the consolation in the calling of God is that the calling of God is relentless. He doesn't call you once and give up as long as you still draw breath. My God keeps on calling. He keeps on calling. In the morning, he's calling. In the afternoon, he's calling. At night, he's calling. When you're misbehaving, he's calling. When you're being crazy, he's still calling. He's like that navigation that is telling you that this is the way to go. And then you decide that I know better than this navigation. And you go left where it said you should go right. And for a moment, you think you're going better. But what does the navigation do? It starts to recalculate. It starts to recalculate. And no matter how far away you go, as long as the navigation is on, it will keep on recalculating. The other day, I used navigation to take my children to school. School, uh, and I forgot to take off the destination uh, of the school after I had dropped them uh, and I started to drive home uh, and it was maybe 10 minutes on the journey home uh, that I looked down at the navigation uh, and I saw that it was still recalculating uh, another route uh, to take me to their school uh, that's how persistent uh, that's how relentless uh, that's how consistent uh, the call of God is the problem is when you don't follow his call and you take a detour he keeps on recalculating the journey might still might now be longer but he'll keep on recalculating the journey might now be more tortuous but he'll keep on recalculating the journey might now be full of more pain you might carry more baggage but he'll keep on recalculating uh, when are you gonna wake up and realize enough of saying no to the call of God it's time to say yes. My soul says yes. Is there anybody ready to shout yes? Under the sound of my voice, come and shout yeah! Woo! Hallelujah. 
And when you say yes to the call, then you move on to justification. Now, what is justification? Justification is to declare somebody righteous. Abakali is not because of what you did. All you had to do was say yes. And then he justifies you. Because Jesus has already done everything that needs to be done. All you need to do is say yes. And then he backs you up. That's what justification is. He declares that you have a right. That's what righteousness is. He's saying you have a right to every promise of God. You have a right to be the head and not the tail. You have a right to be above and not beneath. You have a right to true liberty and freedom. You have a right to prosperity. He justifies you. He's got your back. Hallelujah. If you believe me, come and say yeah. And then he quickly moves on to glorification. I love glorification because what it means to glorify is to deck with glory. Oh no, let me explain that. It means to beautify. He makes you look beautiful. Ah, yakayabaha. Glorification. It is to amplify uh, your good assets. Oh, Jesus. Uh, glorification. It is to make people look upon you favorably. <laughs> you look better than you really are because he's got glory on you. Oh, you don't hear me what I'm saying. When he glorifies you, even your enemies will have to bow and acknowledge that God is with this one. He wants to glorify you. If you believe me what I'm saying, come and shout yeah! Woo! There's an interesting definition of glorifying and it is to describe or to represent as admirable, especially unjustifiably. To describe somebody as being admirable, to be envied, particularly unjustifiably. In other words, in a way that is like, he doesn't deserve this kind of glory. Anybody hear me what I'm talking about? It is like when the New Testament talks about Abraham. And in Romans chapter 4, when he describes Abraham, he says, who wavered not in faith? Who did not shake? Who believed God and delivered the promise? And I'm wondering, is it the same Abraham we're talking about? Because when I go back to the old book, this Abraham wavered, married, didn't even marry, took in Hagar, gave birth to Ishmael that we are still struggling with till today. And then, my God who glorifies, when he is telling the story about Abraham, he says he was strong in faith who did not waver. He's a good guy. That's what glorification is. Can I prophesy to somebody that God is about to glorify you? He's going to revise your history and he's going to tell it in a favorable light. If you believe me what I'm saying, show you. <laughs> Thank you, pastors. I really, really appreciate you. Hallelujah. God bless you, sirs. So God foreknew Jeremiah, predestined Jeremiah to glory. Then God called Jeremiah, and Jeremiah was about to decline the call and take a detour. But God responded and said, say not. I came to say, say not. That's what I came to do this Sunday morning. Say not that it can't be done. 
say not, I'm but a youth. Say not, I'm just a child. Say not, it's impossible. Say not, because life and death are in the power of the tongue. Isaiah chapter 8 and verse 12. Say ye not, a confederacy to all them who this people shall say, a confederacy. Neither fear ye their fear, nor be afraid. Don't say what the world is saying when they say there's a casting down. Say not. When they say there's no way out, say not. When they talk about a negative forecast, say not. Don't repeat it. Say not. When they say you will never get healed, say not. When they say you'll never get married, say not. When they say you'll never break through, say not. Say not that there is no way out. Say not that you don't qualify. Say not that he will not provide. When you say not, then God will show up like never before. Do I have any say not people under the sound of my voice? Come and show yeah. I say not. I say not, I'll not say casting down. When they say casting down, I will say lifting up. I will say that by his stripes, I am healed. Can I get some deputy preachers this Sunday morning? Get up off your feet, walk up to two, three people, preach to them and say, say not. I don't know what you've been saying. But say not, it's time to stop saying it. Say not, say not, say not. Hallelujah. Whoa, yeah. Oh, yeah. Say not. My God is the God of a million little miracles. He's going to show up like never before. Say not, I can't afford it. Say not, I won't break through. Say not, I'm not going to get the job. Say not, say not. Hallelujah. Why? Because I'm predestined. I'm predestined. <laughs> I'm predestined to glory. I'm predestined for justification. Is there anybody like me under the sound of my voice? Come on, give God the glory. Hallelujah. Father, we bless you. We give you the glory. We give you the praise. We give you the honor. Whoo! Father, thank you. Father, thank you. Somebody needs to say yes this Sunday morning. Somebody needs to say yes. He's been calling and you know he's been calling. He's been calling, he's been calling, he's been calling you, he's been calling you, he's been calling you. He's been calling you. You've been trying to do it by yourself. You've been trying to earn it by yourself. You've been trying to qualify and he said, you don't need to qualify, I'll qualify you. All I need from you is yes. All I need from you is yes. All I need from you is yes. That's all I need from you. If you say yes, I'll deal with the rest. If you're out there, you haven't accepted Jesus Christ yet as your Lord and Savior, this is your moment, this is your time, this is your opportunity. Whew. Maybe you said yes one time, but you know you've strayed away and it's time to come back. It says, you believe with your heart, you confess with your mouth and you shall be saved. If you are one of such persons today, this is your day. Harden not your heart. Don't let it buy you, pass you by. Say yes. Say yes, say yes, say yes. Whether you're in the hall or you're online on Facebook or YouTube, wherever you are, if you are ready to say yes to the Lord, please repeat these words of prayer after me. Congregation, let's support them. Lord Jesus, thank you for the price that you paid. Thank you for taking my place and dying for me.
Today, I repent of my sins and I accept you as my Lord and my Savior. I believe with my heart and I have made this confession with my lips. Therefore, by faith, I am now a new creation in Christ Jesus. I am born again. Hallelujah. If you prayed that prayer, you are indeed saved and we're happy to welcome you into the body of Christ. Welcome you into salvation. Somebody give God the praise. Hallelujah. I want to help you to grow in the Lord. So please connect with us on any of our platforms. Direct message us, email us. Uh, plug into the various services we, we offer. Through those, you will grow from being a child to becoming a mature son of God. We are so elated to have you in the body of Christ and on the journey of predestination to glory. Hallelujah. We hope you've enjoyed this uplifting sermon from House on the Rock Church, the London Lighthouse. We hope you've been informed and inspired. Join us for services every Wednesday and Sunday. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook at HOTR London. Also, live stream our services on YouTube at HOTR London. For more information, visit our website on hotr.org.uk.